Welcome back to the Better Call Saul Insider Podcast. This is uh, for episode 610, Nippy. And it's a whole new world for the show. I'm Chris McCaleb. I'm uh, one of the editors of the show, and I'm the co-editor of this episode, along with my assistant, Joey Liu, who uh, did a fantastic job and has been killing it. And uh, also, we got a big show, so we're just going to get right into everybody who's here. Uh, as almost always, uh, the co-host with the co-most, uh, she's editor extraordinaire of Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul, Obi-Wan Kenobi, and now a uh, huge Marvel movie, like, a boss she's kelly dixon hello hello when you said that i was like hello and welcome to movie phone <laughs> 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 I why don't you just tell me the movie hello. you want to see yeah exactly um, um yeah hey What's, hey, hey how's Cal? it going chris it's good to see you it's good to see um, you uh miss all you guys we got a big show so i'm not gonna waste time on this small talk bullshit just go ahead and announce people this episode's too big to fuck around yeah that's right with us uh again almost as always he's the co-creator of this very show that you were watching and executive producer peter gold hello hey welcome to movie phone that's right. Yeah, this is and and we should probably we should have said this probably earlier that this episode is brought to you by Movie Phone. Um, we finally have a sponsor here in the home stretch of episodes. Uh, at long last, we're monetizing it with a service that uh, certainly doesn't exist anymore. I'm sure of it. Maybe it's us. I don't know. We went after Blockbuster and they turned us down for some reason. I don't know why. I, I have to say, Chris, just I know you're going to keep going. And, and I just have to say, this is one of my all time favorite episodes. Either, either show. This is this is this is a huge one for me. I agree with you. I love this episode, uh, despite uh, how how much time it took to, to do, how much work we all did, which I'm sure we will very much get into. And uh, yeah, so I but I just I, I really love it. I love I love how different it is. And, and we'll, we'll get into how you guys decided to do this because uh, I, I mean I f this uh, spoiler this has been in the in the works for a long time Peter you've been talking about this for for seasons the idea of an entire black and white gene episode so um but so yeah and uh this episode was written by Allison Tatlock and directed by Michelle McLaren and in theory uh and 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 as of five minutes ago uh we had both of those people here and i one of them is missing right now from the zoom and these are the limits of modern technology uh but i'll introduce the person who's here the writer allison tatlock hello Woo! i'm so excited to be here to talk about this episode which i also really love and i have to say hearing peter gould say that it's one of his all-time favorites is um truly an honor so awesome yeah well and allison and i and i know this isn't much to everyone's chagrin this is not a video podcast but uh Allison and I are wearing matching T-shirts that were the the uh, the crew shirt that Allison had made. You had these made, right, Allison? I did. And I was. It was one of the more stressful elements of working on this episode. <laughs> I was designing this thing. <laughs> yeah, I was. I was really freaked out about it. I love this shirt so much. I wear it all the time. I wear it out, and nobody knows what it is because it's so abstract. But then once you see the episode, you're like, I know what that is. Well, I know fucking, what all that stuff is. Well, fucking put it on the screen. I can't see it. Show uh, the back too. The back okay, too. Right. Yeah. There's more in the back. <laughs> and I and I want to give credit to Jen Carroll because the little monitor on the fork was her pitch. Brilliant. It's so great. 
Um, well, it, hopefully we get Michelle back. And, uh, at, but uh, we also have a very special guest joining us for the first time and joining the show for the first time. Uh, he portrayed the role uh, in this episode of Jeff the cabbie. Uh, it's Pat Healy. Woohoo! Yay! Oh yeah. God. Is this real life? It is. I uh, I'm the new I'm the new Jeff. Let's, That's uh, right. For for those of you on Reddit, I see you. I've seen <laughs> I've seen the hashtag not my Jeff. Uh, how, oh my how god is, <laughs> how is that possible though i that's my question i i actually was texting chris um because i was curious if we could even talk about this um and oh, so yeah, like how is it how is it how is that out there though that doesn't make sense to me there are promos that feature my eyes and my voice oh okay 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 and so All you right. guys re-recorded the lines from from episode 501 right right i just did it in a in a sound booth in in la uh, a few weeks ago and then uh yeah they put it on the footage some footage from this episode so there's so many theories out there i mean people will be listening to this after the fact but you know that's so true can you, can you can you do a, a like a quick recap of this whole situation chris of the the story situation or the yeah the the, the behind the scenes jeffy situation oh well can yeah i mean peter i don't i i don't know how much exactly we can say but but that don harvey the original jeff the cabbie had scheduling conflicts and we were completely unable to get him on the show is that correct that is that is correct and we were we were very sad and we did not know what to do and then one of the things then our brilliant casting folks said well why don't we take a look at the original auditions for this role and there was pat and uh you know it's 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 you know it's it, it would have been a a different string of episodes uh with don i i am i think pat is fantastic i love what pat does with this role i'm sorry to interrupt Thank but you. can you can you guys start at the beginning because I mean, I even had to go back and, and watch this. So in sure. 501, can you go all the way back to that, Chris? I, 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 can I, I, I'll just jump in. Or somebody? Can I just, I'll just jump in real quick. In in season four, uh, Saul fainted. Uh, as you remember, season he fainted in season three. Mm -hmm. And then we picked up, we picked up Gene and he went to the hospital. He was scared that someone would identify him. He had trouble with his social security number. He got into a taxi. He thought he was, he thought he was home free. And then he looks at the uh, mirror uh, and there's a hanger uh, that says uh, Albuquerque on it. And there's Mar Michelle McLaren. Yay, she's she's nice. Nice. Sorry, you guys. My I'm internet quick... conked out. I had to move. <laughs> Live from Europe. It's Michelle McLaren. Live from Germany. That's right. Maybe you know, she's better from... She's, she's sure. one of the best directors in the world. And you oh know my her God. from Breaking Bad <laughs> and Better Call Saul and Game of Thrones, which I finally have seen now. And she's now and in Shining Europe Girls. Working. Shining Girls, which I, I've only heard incredible things about. And uh, yeah, thanks for joining us, Michelle. Oh, I'm so excited to be here. I love you guys. I said this. I said this when you were out, Michelle, and I, because I want to say it behind your back, but now I will say it to your face. This was this episode for some reason that I can't. I can't. It's one of my favorites in the whole series. It's it's wow. absolutely. It's it's. I think it's uh, it's it's absolutely tops in every way. And it's it's a, you just did a pilot for a whole new series, uh, <laughs> which is Gene in Omaha, and and man, I just think it's I just think it's great. I love. Oh every my gosh, this one, Peter. Thank you so much. Well, Allison wrote a brilliant episode, and and the cast. I mean, Pat Healy is here today, and Bob, of course, and you know Jim. I mean, everybody just was 
phenomenal. And uh, what an incredible experience. I was just so honored to, to come back and be with everybody. It was awesome. And now we can finally admit the special get who the special guest star is. Okay, uh, I wasn't sure if I could say it. We can. <laughs> oh, it's out there. It. it's out there. It's and now, out there. And now people have seen her. Carol Burnett. Carol Burnett. I'm just amazing. I'm excited to finally try that Carol Burnett cocktail. Oh, it's delicious. Um, we we sampled we, it. I, we sampled it with <laughs> Carol Burnett. Yes, oh, we did. What a flex. That's so much better than I'll get to do, but we, I'll, we had just, a, I'll have to do it from the comfort of my I home. I saw that card come out at dinner, the, the card with the recipe <laughs> on it. It's quite amazing. <laughs> we had a full-on ladies' night with cocktails we and did. Carol Burnett. It was one of the best nights ever. Holy yeah. cow. Well, we're we're just, we're uh, as you're joining us, Michelle, we were right in the middle. Peter was sort of recapping where we were at with Jeff the cabbie uh, in season four. When he got in that cab, he thought he was home free. And then he saw that Albuquerque isotopes uh, dangler and realized, uh-oh. And this guy is looking at him and is wondering, like, shit, what's going on with this guy? So I, if you want to keep going, Peter, I, I can. I'll, I'll just I'll, I'll pick it up real fast. I'll try Good. to be quick. Gene uh, goes on, Joe's goes on the run in the next season. We are asking and I think it's good to recap this because we are asking a lot, a yes. lot of our audience. Mm -hmm. A yes. lot of them. And um, he, he goes on the run. He realizes the, the cops aren't after him. He, he ends up coming back to Cinnabon and he has a normal day. And then there is this this guy who recognizes him and knows that he's Saul Goodman. And it's this this uh, this cabbie named who's introduced himself as Jeff. And he's brought another guy, a big, tall, blonde guy who we're going to find out his name is Buddy. And uh, he seems to be a fan, but he's also there's some a feeling of maybe he's going to try to extort him. And uh, so Gene goes running to the phone, calls the disappearer, uh, Ed, uh, and uh, he's about to, he's about to arrange to vanish yet again. And when he decides, no, he, he kind of finds a little bit of guts and he says, I'm going to handle it myself. And now this, this episode, we get to find out how he handles it. And he handles it in a uh, uniquely, gene way uh and I'll, I'll i'll kick it back to you chris yeah which which brings us to the to the the title nippy so um, wait 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 so basically you had to recast this role because the other actor wasn't available yeah yeah and you that's know, why okay okay kelly i'll just say that we in the past we've been lucky on this we've done this many times where we've had actors who we wanted back uh on different seasons and we didn't know i mean you know mel mel rodriguez certainly came back three times and we didn't know we, we've been very very lucky this time we maybe pressed our luck by asking for four years i don't know what it was, it was four year, a four year span and you know <laughs> um pat we're just damn lucky that pat healy was wow. available to us and he he came uh running off of a i believe a martin scorsese movie uh That's to albuquerque yeah so we're, we're just so damn lucky to have you pat and you i love i love your character uh and and to be fair don is also a great actor uh but he and also to be fair to us he only really had one speaking scene so hopefully the audience will roll with us and yeah, I, it's the the redditors are uh you know the, the the hardcores are you know have theories about jeff having shape shifted or so all kinds of things <laughs> but uh I, I shout out to them because they're really funny stuff too that they've written. 
God well, and, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you what I do. I, I love Don Harvey and I cut that episode with his big dialogue scene when he confronted Gene. But I, I will say that Pat Healy is, yes, my Jeff. I'm a huge fan. <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm for I'm nice holding up the Blu-ray of Cheap Thrills, which if you have not seen is a fucking fantastic movie. And I, I've been I've been a fan for a, a long time and uh, another another if you want to see a, a master class and what you can do with almost entirely voice acting see the movie compliance which is uh a, a, just a tremendous performance that you gave pat anyway i Thanks, i lo- i loved cutting this episode and and uh i i it was it was a delight getting all of this footage which i mean so that what was what was that experience <laughs> like like you know you you did make the character your own while sort of you retaining the spirit established by by Don Harvey, but talk about the challenges of like jumping in here and and getting this replacing you know replacing this guy, and then you get to Albuquerque and they're like, run, go, run, <laughs> <laughs> literally, literally, um, yeah. So yeah, I I think I read for this in March of 2018. I think does that sound right, Peter? Something like that. Sounds possible. And I didn't get it. I just was looking through my emails and realized that now I, I had totally forgotten this and I wouldn't have known because the sides are always fake sides. But I read to be Jimmy and Chuck's dad, too, at some point, which I think was a few years before that flashback scene. But anyway, I didn't get it. And um, I'm a crazy Breaking Bad, Better Call Saul fan. And I had read a couple times for, for the final season of Breaking Bad and didn't get those. And then um, I just figured that was it. It's over. And I'm in Oklahoma shooting this movie. And I got a call from my agent tell me that Sharon Bielli wanted to talk to me, but she could not talk to them. Uh, I uh, then talked to Sharon and she told me what it was. I knew I kind of knew that that's what it was going to be. I didn't know what the situation was. I obviously saw Don and Don is I'm a fan of Don Harvey's and he was great. Uh, but I wasn't like hesitant about taking the job or anything. I mean, I, I couldn't believe it. And then when she took, she, so she laid out what the story, what the basic story was going to be. And then a couple weeks later, well, then Bob got sick. So then it was, got a little, was a little scary. Uh, cause that was after I got cast. Some of the theories out there on the internet are this, this happened because it it conflicted with what with Bob's heart incident, but uh, the, I was actually cast before that. So then uh, Sharon called me after Bob was doing better to tell me who was playing my mom, and I just like I can't even. I was driving in my car from set, and it just didn't even compute in my mind because that's a person who I've known as long as I can remember. Carol was on the TV in our house, so it just didn't seem like a real thing. And uh, I got to Albuquerque and my first thing was I got driven to where they were shooting at the Cottonwood Mall and there were a bunch of trailers and I was kind of out of it. It was an early flight and there was a bunch of people standing around that I hadn't met before. And somebody said, oh, Carol wants to meet you. And in my mind, I was just thinking, oh, Carol, somebody, the producer on the show or something. And I heard, is that my son from a trailer? And I walked in and there she was. Oh, my God. Embraced me. And it was just so crazy. It just, I could not even believe. I mean, I can't, still can't believe any of this, but that was really crazy. And as, as we all know, she's, she's lovely and great and amazing and a pro. And so, yeah, I, I came and uh, we just got right into it. And we basically started shooting stuff in the mall with me mostly running. 
<laughs> and I don't remember what day it was. It was probably the second day or third day that I was there. And I was still adjusting to the altitude a bit. And I had been running uh, for about 10 hours one day. <laughs> and uh, I basically collapsed. I, uh, I needed uh, oxygen and um, I was dehydrated and I had to be um, driven home. Isn't Albuquerque like over a mile high? So yes. it has a little bit to oh, do yeah. with altitude. But Pat, a lot to do with it. Pat, I gave you a, I don't know if you remember, but I gave you a note. I think it was your first day that I've never given an actor in my life and I may never give it again. But uh, Pat was um, running, running, running and, and he's doing the, the heist and everything. And then we were doing a shot where it's, it, story-wise, it's the next morning and he's been hiding in the bathroom all night and waiting till the store opens again and he's got to come out the next morning and he's exhausted and tired and terrified that he's going to get caught and you know wondering if they got away with it and he comes out of the the bathroom and he's walking through the store and he thinks everybody is looking at him and uh i went up to pat and i we had just met do you remember that was the first thing we ever shot yeah it was the first thing we ever shot and i said pat Walk like you've got hemorrhoids. And, <laughs> <laughs> and he was genius. He was like, okay, I got it. And he was absolutely genius. But just just to comment on on Pat uh, uh, needing to be driven home by Butch uh, and, and collapsing, Pat was such a superhero. I mean, seriously, we literally, we shot the stealing of the store for real and uh and as you can see it on the show there's uh two different flights and lots of different parts and it had to all be done really really fast and so pat was sprinting 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 and uh and it was pretty pretty amazing and awesome and i'm i'm sorry pat i'm sorry no no I, <laughs> let, let me up. let me clarify <laughs> michelle mclaren is one of the all, all, all due respect to everyone else is one of the five greatest directors that I have ever had the experience of working with in my life. Oh, so I was, and, and wow. because I was a fan and the work is always great, but then to work, your notes are always great. And the way that you put everything together and come out with everything, it was just a magnificent experience. And we did get the, uh, I think, advantage of shooting for a long time on this one. I mean, it seems like- We did. Yeah, yeah. I, I agree with you, Pat. It's, it's really rare that, um, we get the time to shoot something the way we want to shoot it. And, and Peter, you know, that you have such a, a wonderful hit that you guys have, have created and it's the last season and, you know, there are, never is enough time and money, but I have to say, you guys, you guys gave us the time to, to do Allison's brilliant script. Right. And uh, I mean, I hope everybody feels that way, but it was, it was really a, we went into it not knowing how challenging this was. You know, we thought almost oh, it takes place in a, in a store. Okay. And then as we started prepping it and we got into it deeper, we realized, oh my goodness, this is multi-layered. This is, this is huge. It's and deceptively it down, complicated. It is so deceptively complicated because not only are you shooting, reshooting all these different moments with the arc of the emotion of the characters and everything at different stages, but you also have the uh, security cameras as well. So yeah. it was massively complicated and 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 Chris and Joey did a phenomenal job editing I just I just want to give a shout out to these guys because Kelly Dixon and I we worked a lot together in Breaking Bad and we got to the point where uh I could go into my first cut and maybe make two changes because Kelly and I just got so connected and we you know really 
worked wonderfully well together. And, and Chris was trained by, by Kelly. And I have to say, I thought, oh my gosh, this is going to be really difficult going into this editing. I mean, this is so complicated. And I sat down and I watched the first cut and I went, oh, you guys blew my mind. You, you, you got it. It was, <laughs> it was, it was almost, almost like having Kelly in the room. So Kelly, you should be very proud of, of Chris because he, he really, and Joey, they, they really did a, a phenomenal job. And we should say about the department store too is that it did not exist before our incredible designers yeah, and, and builders created it. It was just an empty space, and Denise Pizzini and her team, and uh, you know all of the the art directors and designers on our show created this thing from scratch. Peter, do you want to chime in about that I at all? I just want to give a big shout out, especially to Ashley Marsh, our yes. set decorator, because she had to oh, gosh. stock yeah. an entire store. When we wrote this, Allison, correct if I'm wrong, I think we kind of assumed we'd be able to shoot in a real store. Absolutely. Uh, after uh, we figured, yeah, it's Albuquerque. They love us. Everybody loves us. Who doesn't love us? And it turned out Nobody loved us enough to let us shoot in their working store, probably, probably for good reason. Uh, but it meant that the, the art department had this incredible job that they had to do. And I think it looks fantastic. And I wasn't there, Allison, you were. It looked, yeah. it looked, it, you see every single direction in this place and there's not a moment when you even begin to question it. Oh, even even being there, you would you would not have known it that it wasn't real. I, I, oh, yeah. I, had, to be, I had to be told after yeah. like I think yeah. a day or two that it wasn't actually a real store. It's everything it's, that I was looking at was. Yeah, uh, and it all had price tags and and, yes. and, uh, and and everything on it. No, it was phenomenal. And we all walked the the department store, every inch of it and, and talked about, because. Allison written this great poem. And so then we had to map it out <laughs> and what it made sense for, for you know, uh, the locations of this poem. So it wasn't just that you could go in and dress a department store. You had to dress a department store very, very specifically in each, you know, area. And then we had to figure out where each of the security cameras went. And, and I want to give a shout out to, to Paul Donaghy, who mm -hmm. it just did a phenomenal, phenomenal job. Uh, and, and, um, can I jump around and talk about this? Because I'm mentioning Paul here. I just want to say, Peter, you did something really cool at the very beginning of this when um, you knew that you were going into black and white and you got all the directors who were shooting the last uh, few episodes together and you gave us a masterclass on shooting black and white film. And it was phenomenal. We, we took a deep dive that Peter had put together from all these clips of different movies uh, for, you know, that were decades old and, and talked about what you liked about them and, and what you were hoping for this. And, um, Paul, and the cinematographers were there too. And Paul Donaghy, our, our DP, really did a phenomenal job of playing the, with the light and the dark and, and having uh, Jimmy, uh, Gene, excuse me, walk from you know, the, the darkness into the light and vice versa, depending on where we're at in, in the story. Well, and hopefully through the magic of editing, uh, I'll go right now to a little bit of a conversation I had with Paul Donaghy about shooting in black and white that we did uh, during the, the bonus episodes uh, during the interim. You were tasked with DPing the first all black and white episode of this show. What are the, are there any challenges to shooting something that, isn't that it's intended to be black and white? I found some technical differences um, after a couple of, I mean, it, it's a, it's, it's a bit boring to go into, but, but the, but not basically, at all. Yeah, no, I mean, it's, 
what I found was it's black and white. But funnily enough, you need more light. Um, Why do you think that which, is? Which is, I have no idea, Chris. To be honest, I'm I'm, I'm not a technical person at all. But it, but it, I just needed more light in there to so you, to see stuff. Uh, the 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 rating of the camera is the same. I mean, you're actually recording it raw, so um, which you know, it's it's not in color, it's not in black and white. You're just recording ones and zeros, and right and fundamentally of having a color picture which is turned into a black and white one but um yeah i found other than that really it was it was just it was quite interesting to try and create more shadow you know um mm. uh, you know and actually trying to create darker and lighter areas you know things that were a bit more contrasty and right you know, having deep blacks. and I mean, we haven't colored, I haven't colored that episode yet, or not black and white at it yet, but mm -hmm. um, it's, uh, so I haven't, so we have, a, we have a look, we call it a LUT, um, which is a look that we put on our monitors and uh, we kind of work off that. Um, and this is supposed, you know, roughly how it's going to end up. And um, so, so that's what you like to really. And for um, the for the audience, LUT is uh, stands for lookup table, table, and it's it's basically it's it almost acts like a filter that you just apply to the image. Like, in, I mean, the 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 basic sloppy version is like an in Instagram, how you just put a filter on and it gives it a whole new look. That's yeah, that's kind of what a LUT does. Yeah, but uh, I mean that that's that LUT is created by. Uh, a mixture of people, the, the DP, the post-production department, the wonderful Diane Mercer, who's yeah. incredibly supportive of me um, on our first, you know, on my first DPing outing. Um, yeah, that's created. And we kind of work off that. It's, it's not set in stone. It can change later on, you know, in post-production, but it, but it gives you, it gives you something to work off. And you know, roughly what it's going to be like. You know? Right. And, um, and, so that you know the black and whiteness of it we were looking at a black and white image all the time when we were when we were shooting you know and we're back wasn't that great <laughs> thanks paul so being the only one here that really isn't inside the baseball stadium on this one mm -hmm. um and obviously everybody else listening to this is not on the inside baseball uh i just wanted to ask a few questions um so I did think that it was a real store. So that's really cool to know that it wasn't, although I know y'all, so I should have kind of guessed, but you, you keep mentioning that you went to the mall to shoot. So at first when you were talking, I thought that you meant that you basically were in a soundstage, but now I'm hearing that you were in a department store. So what was it? Did you have an empty space somewhere or was this done on a soundstage? We, we had an empty space in okay. a mall. So we, we shot in the Cottonwood Mall, which is amazing because all those scenes where we're walking through the mall are real. Right. And then there happened to be a department store, I guess that had gone out of business or something. And it was completely empty. There okay. was nothing in it, but it was connected to the mall, which was amazing. So we were able to shoot everything at that uh, location. And that, and that was you, a phenomenal. Was it overnight? Yeah. Did you do nights or something? Or were you work, were you working during the day when the mall was open? Both. We did splits. We did okay. splits because we wanted to take advantage of uh, the light when it was day being in the mall. And we needed to shoot. There's a lot of skylights in the mall. We needed to shoot certain things night for night. And then the department store didn't have any windows. It had, it had some doors and we had to black them out. 
but there was also uh, it was open to the mall, and then there was the skylights in the in the mall that we would get light from. So we'd had to shoot away from the entrance. There was there was a lot of planning and the order of shooting okay. to to deal with the lights. But we, as a result, we were able to do splits. But we actually shot while the mall was open sometimes, okay. and we just uh, cordoned off uh, certain areas. So it doesn't look like the mall was that busy. We had a lot of lucky loos that were off camera. We spent cool, cool, cool. a lot of time in the mall. And I will say though, I did not in the end collapse or need oxygen. I chased <laughs> Michelle around the mall and to keep up with her, I had to jog. So there were a couple, <laughs> a couple times where I thought I might also need oxygen. Just for <laughs> Michelle around the mall. Pat, if it makes you feel any better, I almost collapsed and needed oxygen just trying to, <laughs> trying to edit this thing. It was, I believe it, was, it. It. It, was, it was quite a bear trying to get around uh, there's, I mean, there's two sequences in particular, the, the montage and then the actual heist, which the, the, the heist is, I thought the montage was going to be the absolute most difficult thing. And it, it was very challenging, but there was nothing quite like the, the scam, the heist, which is, and I want everybody to talk about the, just the, the conception of it. And then how Michelle, how you even start to plan for something which is it's actually three scenes happening at once and mm. everything has to be happening simultaneously and you're cross-cutting between gene and this this security guard with a, a tremendous performance from is it jim o'hare is that how it's pronounced that's right yes. yeah from, yeah from jim amazing yeah he's you would i like i i had, I had never seen uh the show was he on parks and rec yeah. I yeah. And he's genius. And, and, yeah. and you would just think, oh, this guy's a secure. He's it's great. Uh, so you have them. And then meanwhile, you have everything that Pat, the Jeff is doing in the store. Um, also, shout out camera operator Matt Cradle. Uh, yeah. Matt, amazing. Geez. Oh, yeah. Pat, I, it's Pat amazing Matt did not. So was Matt. Uh, yeah, yeah. Matt, is probably, Matt, Matt is probably the only person that physically experienced the exact same thing that I was experiencing. He was yeah. always right there with me. Yeah, yeah, we kept um, saying, are, are you okay? Are you okay? Yeah. But then also <laughs> there's there's the sort of like the third scene, which is a combination, is the security camera business, which mm -hmm. all has to be happening for real. And 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 so it's kind of like you shot the scene three times. It, it's a it's a talk talk of, of, about well everybody's wait. time. Okay, so you kind of touched on, you know me. Well, you touched on, we can get straight into, but I want to take the deep dive into Inception. the writer's, the writer's yeah. room part of this. Um, again, being somebody who was not there, but always being interested in where these come from. Um, the first thing I want to say is I wrote in my notes, black and white land. Wow. I was always like wondering, are we going to get to black and white land? And here's the episode where we actually do get to black and white land. Um, when we left our uh, beloved characters, uh, Kim was breaking up with Jimmy and now we're jumping way forward in time, which I always hoped we would, but I never thought. So my question to you, Allison, and to you, Peter, since you guys were in the writer's room, talk to us a little bit about how you guys wanted to make this jump and where, and, and I mean, not only this incredibly sort of uh, heist episode of Jimmy sort of, you know, take, taking care of this problem, but like just the magnitude of doing something like this 
where you've got to take care of this problem, but also keep adding to our character. I mean, even when I watched it again, it was just the the thought of it just sitting down in the writer's room was incredibly massive. Well, what I remember is that we were very excited, <laughs> very excited, hopefully not in like a, a, a mean way, but about the idea of leaving folks uh, at the end of nine and then defying expectations by not going into what we were calling the breaking bad time zone. So we thought this will be deliciously, perhaps, um, you know, in an agonizing way, but ultimately deliciously disorienting. It will defy expectations. Everyone will be screaming at their TVs, but hopefully within the spirit of excitement around the storytelling. And uh, yes, we were excited about that leap. And I will say that I was really interested in this idea of the the entire black and white episode. I was excited to write that and I had never written Jean before. So all of that was very tasty to me and to get to work with Michelle as well. What else, Peter? Who had the idea of the mall story? I mean, who had, how did this, well, how we just this, yeah. How did it, this come up? It came up. I I feel like I don't I don't remember who, of course, because you know that's okay. A, we get the, the group, we get that the answer group, all the time, right? The group think, but we what do we we had a guy who worked in a mall. Like that's all we had to work with was yeah. a guy who worked right. in a Cinnabon. And we were like, okay, so there he is. He is brilliant at using the tools at his disposal, and this is what is at his disposal. And if he is going to you know fuck with these guys and shift the you know shift the power dynamic, that's what the whole exercise is about is doing a switcheroo of status then how can he do this using what he has at his fingertips right here he has a security guard that he alienated in a previous season he knows that if he can turn on the Saul charm if he can channel the Saul of it all that he's an expert seducer he can seduce this guy and uh, he can use both like the sugar on his tongue and the sugar in his shop to, to ah. get what he wants. <laughs> Perfectly put. I love it. I love the way you put that, Allison. I, Kelly, we we spent a lot of time thinking of different different ways he could put this together. There was a, the only other pitch I remember. I know there were a bunch of them. Was there involved Pat Pat's character being curled up inside a fake ATM machine? Uh, that, was, that was that was that was one. That wow. was one of them. Uh, that was there was. Aren't there you was, glad you know, it was, was a, just a box, Pat? Well, Pat, yeah, you were so well, lucky. <laughs> part of it, you know, part of be like a Breaking Bad uh, callback. It, it's it's right? true. You could crush somebody's skull. Yeah, but you know, yeah. I, I think Alice. I love the way Allison put that, and uh, because of course, you know, the end of the previous episode, you actually see Saul Goodman, and in color, of course, and so uh, we're hopefully we're zigging instead of zagging, but also. Um, there's a lot more that we could say about it, but you know, we need to talk about some, there's more coming in subsequent episodes, more, more fun uh, that we could talk about that relates to this in, in subsequent episodes. Well, I'm curious of one thing. I don't think I've ever asked this question before. I never thought that I needed to, but um, <laughs> uh, I, I'm assuming that, and I think I'm assuming with pro- portfolio that when you guys go in and you break these episodes, you break them in order. That's what has always happened with this one though. I'm curious. We're like, there are I, like at some point in the span of the last season where you guys saying, okay, we're going to go into black and white land. And here's what we're sort of thinking. And then that, did that idea sort of 
you know, was everybody thinking of that and maybe offering up ideas throughout the breaking or when you finish 609, it's like, okay, guys, we're, we're, we're at the point where we're going to black and white land. What are we going to do? I will say, I, you know, we do work episode by episode, beat by beat, but we also talk ahead too. I mean, okay. we don't really, that's not what we emphasize when we're talking about the room, but we talk ahead and there's usually a lot of ideas up on boards of things that could happen. And um, you 90% of them don't end up landing, but then there's 10%. And, and I think by the time we got to this episode, we had a pretty strong feel for what's going to happen next uh, in the in the next few episodes. Uh, I, th I think we, we, you know, because we've been talking about it. We took a whole year to break this season. So we've been talking about it at this point for a good long time. So yeah, there, it's uh, it, it, we weren't completely walking off into uh into outer space when we when we took this jump we also okay. knew that we we decided at some point and then and then stuck with it that we would not see kim and in this episode as you all know because now we've all seen it not only do we not have ray seahorn who i missed working with of course we have we don't have the rest of our brilliant cast either uh no Jonathan Banks, no Giancarlo, no Michael Mando, of course, no Patrick. And instead, thank God, we had the guest cast to, you know, beat all guest casts. I mean, this was, I have a picture of Bob and Jim and Pat and Carol that I feel like should be framed in some kind of actor hall of fame because the yeah. massive amount of talent uh, with these four human beings together was, was really inspiring. It was incredible to work with them. And I wanted to say, Michelle, um, when you talked about telling Pat, suggesting that he could walk with hemorrhoids, is it, it is definitely a stressful and unique moment to be on set as the writer representing when a, a new actor has come in to replace somebody who existed before, because of course I felt like, woo, I, I am going to be the one to say like, yes, this is gonna be cool. Um, and so I was watching Pat extra carefully, of course. And Pat, when you did that walk, it was actually, I feel like the moment for me was when you touch, when you kind of snuggled, when you touched the, the <laughs> fuzzy jacket that was on the rack. I was like, oh my God, this is this is fantastic. This is so weird. And this guy is great. And all concern around the actor replacement vanished. And I told Peter, this is gonna be fantastic. And it was. Jeff, that's a great point. Pat, you're, Jeff, as we meet him in this episode, he's a very tactile person. You know, there's also that great moment in the, in the, in the heist where he's touching the different sweaters. No, no, the no. The cashmere yes. sweaters, yeah, oh, yeah. The cashmere sweaters. <laughs> And I, there's a couple other places too, where, you know, this character is using a, I it just, it's, it's such, how do you make choices like that? Is that just, it's a kind of in the moment thing. I mean, I, I, I do have it in my mind. I've always kind of been interested in, I remember a psychology class from, from high school, I believe, where they talked about fetishes, but particular material fetishes that people had. And, you know, there were things like, um, you know, there's the, there's the crazy, perhaps apocryphal story of the, man masturbating and his mother Kim comes in and throws a shoe at his head just as he's uh, climaxing and he has a shoe fetish right but like there's <laughs> things like where people uh uh you know pleasured themselves as young you know boys or young men on certain bathroom uh mats with their bare feet and then they then have a uh you know a thing for uh that 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 material they may not be aware of that and so uh, I, I, I have only read about these things, but like we certainly had like a lot of material. And the first thing that I did was that 
that coat. So then when we got to the other stuff later, which actually happens before in the episode, I just started doing it more because it felt like, okay, this is what he does. Um, I, I didn't give it a whole lot of thought until really kind of then and just now, you know, I, I don't, I've never voiced that that gross uh, graphic uh, version of it, but, but, but there you have it. I suppose <laughs> that's where it comes from. This is what? a good podcast, man. Can you, can you yeah. talk a little bit about how you guys got Carol Burnett? Sure. Uh, briefly. Uh, yeah. Vince had met Carol at a, um, at a party. And then I met her uh, later at actually the Peabody Awards. I was at the Peabody Awards in New York with Nora. And uh, somebody came up to us and said, Carol Burnett would like to meet you. And uh, I was like, holy shit. So Nora and I went over to her table and she's, you, you know, she's somebody who's, it's interesting because she's a, an extremely intelligent person and she is very insightful. And she also has a warmth to her that is uh, pretty special and unique. And uh, once, once we, um, we had, we were talking uh, in the writer's room, we started talking about, well, what's, Jimmy says, or Gene says, I'm going to handle it myself. What does that mean? And I think we started thinking about, well, who is Jeff? You know, that would be the first thing he'd do is investigate who is my opponent here. And then we had this idea that Jeff has living with his mom. I think the first pitch was he's living with his mom and his sister. And, and Gene, Gene kind of put the moves on his sister. Uh, but then we narrowed it down. And Jeff's mom, uh, as soon as we started talking about that, we, you know, it was like, wouldn't it be great? Wouldn't it be amazing to get Carol for this? And, and I was always, because I'm, I'm always suspicious of things that seem to be too good to be true. Uh, I, I was, I wanted to, I wanted to keep it open as, as, as somebody, but as soon as we offered it to Carol, she, you know, and, and she, you know, went really went out of her way. She spent a lot of time during COVID in Albuquerque, mm -hmm. uh, away from home and was incredibly generous with all of us. Uh, and I, she was doing it out of, out of I, I think, sheer, sheer love. And she, she did tell both Vince and me separately that it was her this is her favorite show. Uh, and I, my God, I mean, how can you, you know, what can you say? So it was, it, it's one of those things. And I have to say that these things seem to happen more often since I met Vince Gilligan, where um, it just all seemed to be too good to be true, but it happened and it's real and she's fantastic. And she's, um, yeah, I mean, I think she raised, I think she she made every, you know, we, we had just come out of this crisis moment where when Bob went down and I think it raised everyone's spirits. Uh, Carol raised everyone's spirits. I know she raised Bob's spirits and Bob just, you know, loved working with her. And it's, you can, in the dailies, you can just see it radiating the relationship between these two uh, comic icons uh, they just they and they 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 click together just as they do in that first great scene that Allison wrote, where they're um, they're finishing each other's sentences, which I just think is it's it's such a beautiful great scene, uh, and uh, yeah, so that's 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 how Carol. I have to can I ask a question, Chris? Absolutely. This is probably this may or may not be the right time or play. Maybe too complicated a question, but I, I agree with Pat. I think Michelle is. I mean, she's certainly she's an extraordinary director. She's one of the best I've ever seen, but what I agree, your process, Michelle, to me is very mysterious. Um, can you just, I, I, I know this would probably be a whole lecture really, but I can't help asking what is your process when you're alone with the script before you start working with all, 
all the people you're going to work with. What is, what are you what are you doing on your own uh, before before it gets kind of more social? Um, oh wow, that's an interesting question. Uh, so what, the first time I read a script, I always have something to write down my initial thoughts and my reaction to uh, any given moment. Um, and usually when I go back to break it down and work on it, and if I look at those first notes, it, I have the same idea or reaction I did in that, in that moment. And it sounds really corny, but good, good writing speaks to you visually. And, and so when you get a, a great script and it, it speaks to you visually, it's very exciting. And so you, you know, you start immediately start coming up with, with ideas. Um, and like I was saying earlier, I didn't realize until I really started to break this down, how complicated it was. <laughs> it was like, it's really good, fun read. And I'm like, oh, this is really fun. And then, and then you, you, you break it down, you, you deconstruct to reconstruct. Right. Um, but the, I would say a couple of things that always stick in my head. One of them is something that Vince Gilligan taught me years ago was always think about what would really happen in this moment. If, if what's on the page, what would it look like if it happened for real? And then the other thing is that somebody told me once when the first time I directed on the X-Files that, and, and Vince wrote the script was always make sure the camera's telling the story. And at first I thought, I have no idea what that means. I, I don't know. And so I work really hard at, at you know, I work really hard at learning what that means. And then I always work really hard in, in, in trying to figure out where is, where is, because there's, it's subjective. There's many different places it could be, but where, where is the, for, for at least us in this moment, for me in this moment, where is the best place to put the camera to tell this story? And so you just have to break it down. You have to break it down into the minutia and not let the, the whole thing overwhelm you because if you go there, then you're in in really big trouble. Um, and uh, so I I just I guess I just break it down. I sit down and I put some really silly music on and uh, and I and I break it down and I and I try to put myself into the character's head, into the moment, and what imagine what that what that looks like. Um, yeah, I guess. <laughs> how long does it take you to um, follow up question? Uh, how long does it take you to like, like in this script? I know you can't remember exactly, but how long do you think, do you think it took you a full day of work or is it, is it, is it, is it an hour here and an hour there? How does it, how, how long does it take you to do uh, it? Hours over days and days and hours and hours. Like it, Cause you're, you can't, I can't do it all at once because you got to go scout. You got to do casting. You got to have your different department meetings and stuff. And so you're figuring it out as you go. It used to take me a really long time, you know, and like anything you, you, it doesn't, it doesn't mean I do it really fast now, but you just, you learn to, uh, I don't want to say shortcuts. You just, you become more efficient, you know, with your, with your time. And in television, we have our, the demands on us are so quick. Um, and so you, you, you try to think of stuff really quickly that you're going to want or need, or what are the big things that you need to break down and communicate with the, with the production designer, with the props people and, you know, the, all those kind of things. So, but it, it happens uh, continuously through prep and, and sometimes when you're shooting too, because you make a plan and then you get into a room with these, I mean, comic geniuses, you know, they like, like seriously, massively, all of you guys, comic geniuses who are, who are doing very dramatic storytelling, but of course it's dark comedy. I mean, it, so to me, it was just amazing. I mean, to, the, the fact that I got to work with Carol Burnett was 
phenomenal. She, like you guys have said it, she is, she is absolutely top notch. She is everything you could dream of and more. She's the most mm-hmm. kind, generous uh, person. She's so brilliant and talented. She's very collaborative. She's great to work with her for a director. Um, all the actors are, every single one of them, Jim, Pat, Bob, you know, and, and I will say that it, it's, uh, Bob also had to do things over and over and over again. And, and he had to do them the same thing, but at different phases. And so Bob and I came up with a shorthand where we had kind of, and it, each phase was a different emotion. And so we had like phase one, phase two, phase three, phase four, and we repeat the action while the camera's rolling. And I would call out, okay, phase two, phase three. And then when we got to phase three and four, we had a song that, cause he was, he was now, um, uh, had, had a skip to his walk. You know, we wanted a progression in his emotion and we turned the song on off camera and it was, and it was really fun. And, and, um, and Bob would do this over and over and over again. And, and Pat and Bob, what a marathon. And then Jim, Jim had to eat so many Cinnabons. I mean, like <laughs> this, this is, it was insane. And we had all these tricks and everything so that, I mean, we literally at one point he, it would go up to his mouth and then he would pass it off to somebody who would grab it behind his head with a fork or, you know, he'd spit it out and, but he did have to eat some. And so each of these, each of these guys had a marathon of some sort that they, that they had to do and they were relentless and phenomenal at, at, at executing it. And then there was Carol who just was, I mean, you know, you, you also said, Peter, how, how um, warm she was and how uplifting it was for the crew. And I mean, just to be in her presence is, is amazing, but she would even give more. She came to set one day and she did the Tarzan call for the, for the crew, <laughs> you know, and, uh, and I, I don't know if this made it in it, in it, and it probably didn't. It was so, it was so subtle, but we did ask her to pull her ear in, in the grocery store in a very, in a very subtle way. Cause we, Hey, you can't, not do that at least give you the option you know and uh and and so it was just you know and that for me was like such an iconic moment just to say I was so nervous to ask her I thought oh is she going to be offended or anything and she couldn't have been happier and more giving in you know in that in that moment she was so game she was so game there was we had an incredible powerhouse of women on this episode I have to say we it was it was so awesome that at one point I was like I I think we need a picture and we gathered (laughs) you know a a lot of women together it was on the snowy the fake snowy street Melissa Bernstein was there Trina Siopi was there of course Denise was there Michelle and me and and other you know people from the crew and we just all all lined up and kind of felt and Carol in the center um, was the the inspiration because she was a trailblazer and we were all just felt grateful um, for her in that way as well. She she was really generous in sharing her stories too, yeah. and she she is a trailblazer and she's you know she broke the glass ceiling many years ago and in many ways and um, uh, and her she's very generous in sharing her her stories uh, and and you know, lovely about it. And so humble, so incredibly humble. I have a quick question. So full disclosure. So the, the scene where the actual heist, you know, as timed out through that insane montage uh, is, is that he's got about three, a little under three and a half minutes to pull all this off uh, in full disclosure to actually do it, which as we've said, Pat did numerous times in real time, actually did the thing. It took like, it was like 11 and a half or 12 minutes or something like that in real time to like 
you know, really with a, you know, a cameraman run and then run back here and offload the shit back into the, the which is not too bad. No, I mean, it's, I mean, incredible that, I mean, you, you could knock over, uh, and, and look, there's a, there's a career in that, I think for you, I think that in uh, knocking over, working on stores at night, but, but how, like how, which was, you know, so that's an incredibly difficult thing also to edit. Um, but how do you even wrap your head around that, Michelle? Like, like planning out that three pronged thing, including the security cameras, which was this whole separate shoot, which that was also a part of. Right, right. You know, uh, it's interesting. I, I think, funny enough, I think the poem helped um, because it was it was a map. The poem was a map, and then and then we could take we drew a floor plan and and also where the accident had to happen, where the slip and fall had to happen, um, uh, was was a center point. And then also at that same point, there were certain story things around that. You know where he got the shirt and he walked out at the end. So so that was a starting point. And then I just worked out. I worked backwards from that, and and then looked at the the you know the the visual of the whole store and wanted to make sure we covered, you know, uh, every part of it and that it, and that it, uh, and that it made sense. And then, um, I mean, you know, I gotta say, I gotta give a shout out to the, the editors and Diane Mercer for the footage that you guys cut and got to us to play back on the video monitors, which I know everything couldn't be used uh, uh, exactly, you know, so I'm sure some things had to be burned in, but the, but you guys gave us the ability to uh, have certain playback for the actors in the security room to watch what was going on and understand what was happening at any given moment in the heist. Right. And whether you had to switch on the monitors or burn things in, the map that you gave us really helped us in, in the security room. So I, I guess just to answer your question, Chris, I just you have to break it down separately and then figure out what's happening simultaneously at any given moment and think about transitions think about your transitions in from one to the other so that you're you're connecting each of those those moments the other crazy thing was the the snowfield thing you know the, the practice heist where we we really wanted to make sure that the audience understood when you eventually revealed it that this the it was the floor plan of of the store so placing the security cameras in places of, of familiarity and then the security cameras were probably once we figured out the whole heist, then we placed the security cameras because then we knew where everybody was going to be. And then we went in and marked out where I think there was 12 different uh, security cameras. And so there's we six, there's 16 cameras, oh. <laughs> uh, which includes four that were inside the dock. Right. Four in the dock. Yeah. So we once we knew the action then we went and placed every security camera. And then I will say that on the day we tweaked a few, you know, when we saw it, we thought we looked, we had, we had um, two different video villages. We had the security camera video village, and then we had the, yeah. the regular camera video village. And so we would go over to the security cameras and look at it. And what we did do, which was, which was really helpful is we shot um, the heist with the, the movie camera for a lack of a better description um, in, in separate pieces, but on the security cameras, we did do I think it was two takes where we just did the, the whole heist and whatever time it, 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 it took. Um, so just Pat so was running had, for 11 minutes straight. Yeah. 
Yes. 11 and minutes straight on those takes. And I was the only person who could be in the whole store. Right. Because the cameras saw everything. So I was the only one in there if I wanted to, if I had a problem or something, I think we stopped. <laughs> Maybe I got snagged on something once in a while, but it was just me. Everyone had to clear out. So that's and just Pat me did, running around. But Pat did have issues. Like, he, like you said, you got snagged or something didn't work and he yeah. stayed in character and, and dealt with it. And and I, I, I have to admit the, the first night I laughed so I was off, you know, at Video Village, crying, crying with laughter. And I was like, is it this funny? Or am I just like losing it? Like, like, am I like so <laughs> terrified that we're not going to pay this, pull this off? And I turned to Alice and I go, it's really funny, right? I was like, and yeah, yeah, it's funny. <laughs> also, yeah, we should, we should, thought it was funny. We should give a shout out to Rob Overbeck because he really helped with yeah. the security monitor portion oh, yeah. of things. He helped kind he of pro produce that part of it. And mm -hmm. also I should have mentioned Angie Meyer when I was talking about- mm -hmm. uh, Oh my God, oh, yeah. all the sure. women. Our, our first AD, yeah. Who was also, uh, uh, you say, go ahead. Yeah, no, I was just gonna say Angie was was phenomenal. I mean, it's it's one thing to figure out how to shoot all this. And then they, then you've got the people that have got to help you figure out literally how to execute it, you know, how to, how to schedule it and everything. And Angie and I worked really closely together and, uh, and, and, and it was such a, this was such a huge, I mean, it always is a collaboration. It's always a team effort, but everybody had to take a deep dive into the craziness of, of, and complicatedness of this story, because if you didn't, you wouldn't understand what was going on and how, why we were doing certain things and how we were going to uh, execute it. And Angie did a phenomenal job in, in scheduling this and, and helping us pull all of this off. Yeah. It's, it is one of those things that after the fact, you look back and you go, did we just do that? <laughs> and for the tech heads out there, the, the security cameras, none of them had any kind of matching time code. Um, and they also didn't have common points of view. So it, we had to do it all by hand. And so we would create a sequence with 16 layers and it took, sometimes it took hours per camera to try and like get them all in sync so we could actually cut the thing together. Cause like Michelle was saying, we did cut it together on the screen so you could actually watch it unfold in real time. Chris, it's incredible what you guys did. I, you should win an award for this episode. I it hope was, you do. It was insane. Well, that's very sweet. Chelsea and props too, was especially oh, yeah. a, yes. a help to me because, because we shot a lot of this backwards or out of sequence, she had to remember where everything I was holding was and like every time we were resetting, like put it, cause I just couldn't keep that in my head. So like that whole department, they were placing it on me in the, in the right way. Also how I grabbed it was different because it was already established in something else that we had shot. So that was like, a, I'm sure her nightmare, but like, she was amazing too. She, yeah, she did it. She did a phenomenal job. And you know, Peter, just to, to uh, also further answer that question is I think the thing that really helps helped us figure out how to intercut in, in each of these moments is really the emotional arc of the characters and really understanding and, and hooking in to where Bob is at any particular point, where Jim is, where, you know, where, where um, Jeffy is, um, Frank, I should say, uh, and, and Carol. And, um, and, and Allison wrote such a great script that you could really, you really was very clear the emotional arcs and the emotional beats of each moment. And, and in amongst this entire heist, Gene has a breakdown moment, you know, and it's just, mm -hmm. and, and, you know, getting to 
to that place and, and understanding that we really had to build up to that, you know, uh, Frank had to, to trust him, you know, and, uh, and there was, there was a, an arc very well drawn in the script to every, to everybody's uh, emotional state of mind at any particular moment. And there's a lot of emotions that, that go on in this. That thing with him breaking down is one of the funniest things I've, I've seen in a long time. I was crying, laughing at Bob, pretending to cry, <laughs> actually crying. I, I, I couldn't believe that. That was that was so funny. It's such a, a fascinating emotional sandwich because he's he's, he's telling the truth he's, as well, putting it on. Uh -huh. But then there's also an element <laughs> of reality, which is yeah. something you know we've done a few times on the show, and this is one of my again one of my favorites. Can I also just mention one, one name that hasn't we haven't thrown around, but Kelsey Scott, who plays Kathy, so is great. you know it's, it's always hard to find a the um, perfect straight. <laughs> straight man or straight yeah. woman and she is so great and you also i think you i don't remember if it was scripted but you peppered her in to the very last shot of the episode which i thought was just such a nice way to say goodbye to that character kelsey's somebody somebody i know outside outside of work uh and she's she's terrific and i thought she just did a wonderful job for us yeah kelsey did it a, a great she did a fantastic job and and i love that that phone call. I just, that was a very tricky thing that she did because you, you had, she had to buy it and not look like an idiot. Mm -hmm. And, you know, and, and, and that was really tricky. And, and of course, Gene is so clever, you know, he's, he's, he's such a good con man, but still uh, he, you know, he had to rope her in and she's smart. She's the manager of the department store, you know, and she's uh, you know, she's got chutzpah and everything. And, and Kelsey did a fantastic job. I just want to quickly that montage. I know we're not going to be able to get into everything that that went into it, although you did talk a little bit about it and playing the music on set and the, the music that we used as suggested by Peter was a piece by Lalo Schifrin from uh, Mission Impossible, the original television series. And it was fittingly called Jim on the Move, which is crazy to me what? That that's what it's called yeah the piece is called jim on the move and and Peter, do you want to do you want to talk yeah. a little bit about that well yeah oh yeah when i was a, a little kid uh i had no record player at home or any kind of any kind of music or anything like that but at my grandmother's house she had us this elaborate stereo and i had being the nerd that i am instead of playing rock or anything i would play play things like you know like you know movie music and uh, one of my favorite albums was a uh, Lalo Schifrin uh Mission Impossible album and I remember we were actually in prep and Michelle said you know do you have a suggestion for a piece of music and uh, this had popped this popped into my head thinking that it was just going to be a um you know something to work from which we do sometimes you know we, you'll have a piece of you'll have a piece of temp music it didn't occur to me how deeply ingrained this piece of music would end up into the sequence. And of course, the idea that we were going to be able to get this old piece of music, which by the way, is, you know, we're, we all work for Sony. This is uh, this is CBS Viacom that has, that has uh, mission impossible, but Thomas Goldbevic was able to, you know, he was able to provoke some folks. Uh, and I'm eternally grateful to going to old boxes uh, in a warehouse to find out to get the uh, get all the rights to this this piece of music 
which I think is uh, it just is perfect. It's just well, perfect. we were actually Michelle, I, I, and Michelle, you don't even know this. We were told, and it's certainly after you, after we were finished with with your cut or what, or after we had to we had to stop, um, but uh, that we couldn't use the song. That's oh, right. no. oh no! It was like well, listen, it's not happening because of ownership problems. Because it, it, oh, they, I would have been hard. Yes, and Paramount. Like, you know, and yeah, we auditioned like a hundred different songs. No, there's and nothing. nothing yeah. Here's the bizarre thing, Peter. I don't know if you remember this, but um, I reached out to you and I said, "Hey, Peter, do you have anything in mind? I'm thinking Mission Impossible meets oh. Austin Powers." <laughs> and, and Peter goes, "Well, actually, I have this," and it was like. There's, it is to me, that is exactly <laughs> what the song is. And I freaked out. I was like, are you kidding? This is perfect. And, and I couldn't imagine. And you Sorry? danced, you danced, you danced with them every time. Like we listened to the song 8,000 times. People probably wanted to like scream from having to hear the song so much, but Michelle, it just made her boogie every time, which it, I found very inspiring. It's <laughs> a, it's such a great, it's such a great montage in a show. And this is one of our last montages. I'm not going to say it's the last, but it's one of the this show which has defined itself through this, you know, really cinematic means of montage. It's one of the last ones, and it, it's again, it's one of my favorites. I just think it's, I just think it's tremendous. And then, of course, the music appeals to me. <laughs> I was, I was uh, as so... as a complete nerd. When when we thought we weren't going to be able to use it, I was, I mean, I really, my heart was broken, and I was pulling my hair out trying to find another thing that even worked half as well and i thought you know as editors i know and kelly i know you have some too where there's we always have sequences that like didn't make it the way we had wanted it or we couldn't get music so we had to change it or for whatever reason things had to change and we sort of like keep them for ourselves and we show people like ah look how how it could have been you know like a crazy you know person in the you know, in the dark, like, ah, you know, someday it, it'll be, you know, and and I was it was so when Thomas was able to, you know, uh, create this miracle of getting it, getting the, the the clearance, it was it was a great day. And, and of course, just to say, say the trivia trivia, uh, Lalo Salamanca is named after Lalo Sheffrin, who's uh, you know, just he's just a wonderful one amazing uh film film composer and and uh, jazz musician and just you know an icon and i made a my first short film that i made was called mullet but spelled like bullet the movie bullet and i had a connection to lalo through a friend and he allowed me to use all of the score from the movie because he had wow. re-recorded it for a cd so it wasn't like the warner brothers soundtrack anymore and i was able to use it in my at least in my festival run and all that stuff so my whole short movie is scored to his music too. So when it's I heard awesome. that, we were, it's amazing. If we had known that, we would yeah. have talked to you. We should have talked <laughs> to you. I mean, it's been so rights. long, 20 some years, but I love the sequence because I love Mission Impossible and I love like the heist movies, like the oceans and, and the hot rock and things like that. And that's what it reminded me of. So when I heard you were using Lalo Schifrin music and I heard it on the set and when they were shooting to it, I was like, dream come true again. Oh, I can't yeah. wait for you to see it. I would love for Michelle yeah. to direct a remake of the hot rock. That's uh, yeah. Uh, yeah but anyway, I, I've always, I'm always, I'm always coming up with more things that I think Michelle should direct. So hopefully, hopefully oh, some of them, Peter. some of them, will, some of them will come true. When you were talking to Michelle earlier about, you know, her process and stuff like that, I will say that, I don't know. I think I've worked, you know, thanks to you guys. 
I probably work for, I think over 45 directors um, so far, um, which is crazy, but I, I did a count like not too long ago and I was really blown away with how many directors I've actually like worked with. Um, and, you know, there's a few of them that I don't care to work with again, no names, but, <laughs> but, but, but only a few, no, not you, <laughs> but only a few, but, but I guess what I was going to say also in, in, um, you know, Chris and I, a lot of times we'll get as editors, we'll get, uh, in front of a panel of directors or many times directors, you know, or unbecoming directors will say, what advice can you give? to directors and I always blank out. So I've started to keep a list, <laughs> but, but one of the things that I will say that um, I, a lot of times will ask directors and unfortunately, disappointingly, um, they can't answer the question, um, but Michelle can always answer the question is, what do you see in your head for this sequence? Mm-hmm. Um, because look, as much as uh, I'm sure editors uh, want to be able to just create for you and say it's great, it's really good idea to, to know what you had in mind for that sequence. And I know a lot of directors too will, will answer, well, you know, I don't wanna talk to the editor. I wanna see what they come up with. And I gotta call bullshit on that. I'm sorry. I mean, I, I appreciate the, the, um, the, the consideration, but honestly, this is a team effort and we want to work as a team. So I've always been very, very appreciative when any director can answer that because it helps me, you know, and when I know what you have in your head, then there might be some other idea that I can like expound on with that, you know, and you guys have always been the Breaking Bad um, and Better Call Saul directors I've worked with um, have been able to answer those questions. You know, Peter, when you worked, when I worked with you on that one episode, the Marco montage, remember that one? And you yeah, talked so much about I that. I was, was able like, to say, this is what I was going for. I know, yeah. I know I didn't get any of the pieces that we want, that I wanted, but uh, <laughs> see, see if you can make it, see if you can make it happen anyway. Well, we did. And I don't yes, know why I'm bringing that up, but I, I remember for some reason, I was thinking about it a couple of days ago and I'm like, oh man, remember that episode? Because Peter like said he wanted it like this. I never would have thought to actually do that. And then Chris and I, you, you and I worked on that one, right? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. And, and we put like Jimmy's voice behind it. And you had said, hey, I never thought about putting any kind of, you know, uh, Jim, uh, any of Jimmy's banter behind that. Yeah. But that was one of those situations. And I'm sorry, I don't mean to keep going off on something not this episode, but I did want to give the shout out because as I watch this episode and I'm the one here who has nothing to do with any of the precursor, I'm watching it as a new episode as a fan. Um, you know, I know Michelle so well and I look at all of those little pieces where he's a close up of cutting the tag and, you know, all of those things. And when Chris, you're going on and on about all the different cameras and having to, you know, stack 16 layers. And I know that that is only because Michelle McLaren was doing that shit, you know, and I know that she saw that shit in her head. I'm sorry. I don't mean to like, and in that, and in that montage, we only, there's only one shot that we had to repeat and you'd never know it. 
and, and 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 there are there are pieces that we act there are a couple pieces that we actually didn't even use just for for just for pacing and but, for, but cut things down. Chris, it's, you made you made me so happy because I remember I watched the editor and he goes, Michelle, we used every single shot. And I was like, yay. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I they mean, were all but, great and they were all subtly different, like you said. You, guys, like, you know what Bob's performance. Yeah, I remember so, in prep when you and Paul said uh, we should do a different setup for each one of these repeats, and my heart went into my mouth trying <laughs> to think about think about how complicated that was going to be uh, because I I had assumed that you know it just you know we'd just be shooting the same and and boy it's, it's and she it's had great. a specific idea she had a Michelle had a specific idea and note for how I should do each one of those and there was always great and I always knew exactly what she meant and it was always different and you know most people most directors with the exception of like Marty Scorsese and Michelle would just be like oh it's an insert of you don't even have the actor there to have somebody else do it it's second unit or something no it's not like that it's like every single detail like that Michelle is on top of it you know? yeah uh thanks Pat yeah. you know what you guys are embarrassing me like it's it's so it's it's <laughs> it's really really kind so I just want to say two things really quickly which is Kelly I really appreciate what you said but I will say this, there has been times where I've walked into an editing room with Kelly Dixon and I've said, the scene isn't working and I'm not sure what to do with it. And she goes, well, what's not working for you? And I'll say, look, it's good, but it, it, I think it could be a lot better. And Kelly will say, give, give me a few hours and I'll go away and I'll come back. And she's taken it from good to phenomenal. And I'm just <laughs> like, oh my God. And that's a, 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 a an amazing collaboration. And, and Chris, I really felt like you and Joey, like I, I never like editor assemblies. I'm always ready to like, you know, want to go jump out into traffic or something. And I sat down and watched it. And I was so proud of you guys. I've known you guys for so long. And I was like, oh my God, look what they did. And, and Joey was, was your assistant, right? Joey was my jo assistant. In Albuquerque. In Albuquerque. Back in the day. And, and Chris was, was Kelly's assistant on many episodes we did together. And I, and I just, I'm like, oh my God, look at these guys like this. I was just so uh, pleased and excited. And then Peter, I just want to say how grateful I am that you called me a year ago and asked me to do this. And, and I was so honored to have the opportunity to come back and, and see everybody and, and be with everybody. Um, and it was such an incredible honor and such a gift to be part of this amazing, talented family that you've created with these incredible scripts and this phenomenal crew. And, and what a pleasure. And thanks for having me back. We're so Four days out. You know, this, this, this is, uh, you know, this kind of old home week on these, uh, the directors for these last few episodes, not to give anything away, but here's Michelle taking us into a new world. Next week will be Tom. The week after that will be Vince. And then, uh, then I, then I'm up to, to wrap the whole thing up. So it, it felt right. Uh, it felt right to have you, have you, uh, begin this new phase, Michelle. And, and I'm, I'm just so great because Michelle's in huge demand and we're very, very lucky that you made time for us. Oh, I'm out. very honored. Likewise, thank likewise, you. Pat, Pat too. Pat, mm -hmm. thank you. Thank you for rescuing us because oh we were, God. we were, we were up against the wall, man. And uh, boy, you brought, people haven't seen, people haven't seen everything yet that Pat's going to, not to give anything away, but. Uh, yes, uh, my Jeff. Such a, Jeff. a tremendous such a tremendous gift to be able to that you know these shows have been such an important part of my life for so long and 
and uh, I, 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 it's a, I, I can't even believe it. I'm, 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 you can see I'm pinching myself right now because <laughs> it is literally was pinching myself when I said that. And thank you, uh, all of you, you know, because I just, I still can't believe it. I have to, when I finally see it, I'll believe it. Wait, Chris, I got one question, one question um, that hopefully you guys can answer quickly. It's just about the episode. I'm curious why you guys chose a house um, for Carol uh, in in Omaha for Carol Burnett's and for Carol for Carol and Jeff um, that's so barred up like I just noticed it in one of the last shots I'm like why is it so secure like outside and I I mean obviously this has to be you know on purpose I I think I think the answer if I I remember uh, and Allison and Michelle you you contradict me is that she's lived there for a really long time and if you if, if you if when you see houses that have been sitting in neighborhoods true in LA true in Albuquerque I'm sure true in a lot of cities there was a period in the 70s and 80s when people did people did uh, put those things up on their windows okay, okay. Uh, we used to have to take them down off of, off of Chuck's house actually Allison okay. is that right did I get that right yeah I think that's right I think we we felt that she'd been living by herself for a long time her husband probably died a long time ago and it was more okay. recently that Jeff came to live with her and she was a you know tough and also prudent lady of a certain era and generation and she just left them up Okay, cool. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> we got to leave it at that. Thank you guys so much for listening. And thank you guys all for coming and, and spending some time with us on this Zoom uh, from all over the world. And Pat, I, it sounds like you've heard the podcast before. Um, and we end every yeah. podcast with one of our guests uh, taking us out with their their best kind of Bob Odenkirk, Saul Goodman, Better Call Saul. Would you do the honors and take us out this one? Oh, sure. Uh, better Call Saul. Yeah! <laughs> Woo! Nice. Nice. All right. Thank wow. You.